This morning I wanted us to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Ooh, has anyone heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh? Yeah? Well, what is it? Yes, what do we think Paul's thorn was? Mm. Well, I wanted to look at the subject today. It's great that uh, Chris was brave enough to share a word of knowledge. And we hope that uh, if it's for someone here or on Zoom, uh, that actually you are experiencing healing now, which we've experienced in the past or during the service or afterwards. But please, like Mike's just saying, please tell us, let us know. Because it's also a great encouragement to Chris to step out again for more and more. But... Um, I guess you may have experienced this verse about Paul's thorn in the flesh being used to, um, to urge you to give up expecting God to miraculously do something on your behalf sometimes. It's a case of, look, you've asked, you've asked, you've asked, you've asked. Maybe God's saying no. And you should just grin and bear it. His grace is sufficient for you to be able to put up with it. Have you ever heard it expressed in that way? Yes, absolutely. Maybe you've received it. Maybe you've been the one suffering for years and years and someone else, well-meaning, has said, no, I believe this verse is for you, Paul's soul in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, when it comes to sickness, does God telling Paul, my grace is sufficient, mean that you should give up asking for healing? No? Quite, quite strong about that, aren't you? All right. Or has it, this particular verse been misunderstood and misused occasionally or often maybe. So I hope that you're ready for a fair bit of scripture this morning. Yes, love it, okay. 2 Corinthians 11. All right. Now, I visited Bromley Common last week and uh, I ministered there. That was the church I used to minister at. And uh, it was so refreshing throwing chocolate about in the congregation once more. So I just wanted to, to give those sitting at the front a, a, a chocolate each this morning. It will save time. I needn't, I needn't bother throw any more out. There we go, this morning. I've got one left. I'll ask a question later and we can have one. Wrong place, wrong time. Okay. 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 1. This is Paul writing to the second, second letter. Maybe he wrote more, but we've only got two recorded in the Bible. But Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Verse 1. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. I hope you will put up with me a little, with a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, I won't go into that, but basically how do we become virgins? It's through our new birth, isn't it? Forgiveness through Christ and our new birth, being born again. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, which we've studied a fair bit in the last few weeks, haven't we? Your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is what he's concerned about, being led away from Jesus, just like everyone uh, is, because the devil wants everyone to be veered away from Jesus. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, 
Now, we're so grateful, aren't we? We've got the Bible, and the Bible is full of what Jesus, Paul, preached and what the first apostles, disciples preached. We've got Jesus in every page, so we're so grateful we know what Jesus is, who Jesus really is. Okay, but he says, for someone comes to you and preaches Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the, the capital S spirit, Holy Spirit, you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. I do not think I am the least inferior to those super apostles. Okay? Paul is, is talking really about there apparently in those early days of the church there were imposter apostles or preachers breezing in, preaching these amazing fandangled sermons, a variation of the gospel, wowing the crowds, and then taking up an offering before leaving and praying on another town and doing the same thing again. Verse 6, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Now, Paul wasn't against other churches helping him out financially, but I think the Holy Spirit must have told him when he went to Corinth, look, this is going to be an issue. So don't charge them any money. Do actually make a point of providing for yourself in this particular area, because later on, you're going to have to deal with this issue. And when I was with you, and in verse 9, and when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for my brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Acacia, uh, Achaia, Achaia, is it? Achaia, 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 will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love God? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those, these super apostles, who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting myself. In this self-confident boasting that they are boasting about, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you, takes advantage of you or puts on airs and slaps you in the face. Maybe, this is the NIV, maybe a more modern-day flashback of this kind of preacher or super-apostle would be someone who's taking up a large offering and promising you, if you give a minimum donation to my ministry, you will be healed. Does that still happen today? Lots. Lots. Promising healing, who give generously, and then slapping them He says here, puts up airs and slaps you in the face. Maybe you get slapped in the face by their jacket as they 
slay you in the spirit. Maybe. If verse 20, in fact, you even put up, is that the ministry of Jesus? Big collections and slapping people around. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. Whatever anyone else desires to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this, meaning they're not servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. You know what? That's five times more lashes than Jesus received. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, and we know from Scripture that he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. Don't go sailing with unlucky Paul. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Wow. Paul sure was committed to the cause, wasn't he? He seems unshakable in his confidence that Jesus had called him to spread the gospel far and wide, no matter what the personal cost. How many of these super apostles would have given up if the going got hard? But Jesus always brought him through, didn't he? What was it, do you think, that gave Paul such confidence in to keep going and not give up, believing he was in the will of God? What gave him such confidence? Well, one, I think he was just a tenacious character. You know, if you see anyone before he got saved and believed in Jesus, he was tenacious, wasn't he? He was really going for it. So he's got that kind of personality. But the main reason Paul kept on going and could keep on going, despite all these setbacks, was his undeniable encounters with Jesus. That's what Paul really had and hung on to. When it seems to keep him, what seems to keep him going through all these hardships is his ongoing documented encounters with Jesus. Not least his initial spectacular encounter with Jesus on the way to Damascus. And he retold that story many times, didn't he? Later on in the book of Acts and, and elsewhere in Scripture. And we know from Scripture that right from the beginning, Jesus had personally told Paul how much he was going to suffer for his name for the name of Jesus. And at least on three other separate occasions, don't worry, I've, when you get the email, you'll get all the, um, the Bible verses relating to these. But on at least three other separate occasions, Jesus appears to Paul and gives him personal instruction and strengthening. This is an ongoing relationship with Jesus that Jesus keeps on appearing to him, encouraging him and instructing him. And thankfully, with such a continuous and challenging ministry, came such encouraging, continuing encounters with Jesus. Jesus knows what we need, when we need it, what strength and encouragement we need. And for Paul, 
That was personal encounters, like actual personal visions of Jesus standing next to him or in the sky talking to him. Jesus knows what he needs and what we need. In Paul's weaknesses, Jesus' grace was definitely sufficient. Now, as a point of interest at this stage, in all the challenges Paul's listed, does illness feature in this extensive list at all? No. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul didn't experience illness or that those around him didn't experience illness, but it's just interesting that physical illness and ailments weren't mentioned in this list of struggles and weaknesses. So hold on to that thought and let's carry on reading. Verse 28. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. And what, according to Paul, shows his weaknesses? Well, the fact that even though he's Christ's messenger, the true messenger, not one of these false apostles, he is an apostle of Jesus. Despite that, he has had such a difficult time of it. More than anyone else, according to this great list of challenges that he's just recounted. That's his weaknesses, his struggles, the awful time that he's had everywhere he's gone. Verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Now, I don't want to give the punchline of this sermon away too early, but this is a running theme throughout Paul's thorn. Satan, Satan's wickedness plots against Paul, and God's grace rescues Paul. Okay, this is just one example. They plotted to kill me, so I was lowered out of a basket and escaped. Okay? Just another one of Paul's difficulties and weaknesses. Verse, or chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 2 Corinthians 12. Thank you. Verse 1. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. In Galatians, Paul shares that he didn't learn the gospel at all that he preached from any person, not even the apostles when he met the apostles briefly. Paul says that he learned the gospel that he preached directly as Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him. Isn't that amazing? Verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now the third heaven being God's dwelling place. In scripture, the first heaven is our atmosphere, the sky. In Psalm 104 it says, Besides them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. So the sky is the first heaven where the birds live. Then the second heaven is outer space. Isaiah 13 says, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations. So there's a second heaven, which is outer space where the stars are. And then the third heaven 
is God's dwelling place, like Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, the third heaven. Paul later calls this paradise. Okay, where are we? Verse 2. Halfway through. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows it was in the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to the paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And what was the weaknesses Paul had been boasting about? He just told them about the revelations, but what were the weaknesses? His struggles, that amazing list of all the things he'd suffered. Even though, yes, I've had personal encounters with Jesus, the things I'm going to boast about are my difficulties, my struggles. If the list didn't include sickness, then why is Paul's weakness often considered a sickness or an ailment of some kind? Well, we'll find out in a minute. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted but I, what I do, by, by what, I, what I do or say. All because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now here's why people think of physical sickness or ailment because Paul mentions the phrase, in my flesh. Now some translations translate it as in my flesh and some as in the flesh. I was given a thorn in the flesh or in my flesh. And so the literal conclusion is that Paul has something about his body, his flesh, a sickness or a defect that kept him humble. But in the context of what we've just read, do you think that's what Paul meant? There was something actually about his flesh that kept him humble? Perhaps you think, or some people think, he wrote, Dear Church in Corinth, on top of all the challenges I'm constantly enduring, my true weakness and the real thing that keeps me humble is an ailment in my body. I don't think it is. Yeah. Wendy's laughing at it. When I say the phrase, pain in the bum, (laughs) or pain in the neck, what do you think of? A person. person. Yeah? (laughs) Which person, yeah. Yeah. You don't think of an actual pain in my bottom, or a pain in my neck, but a person or circumstances that is an annoyance or a frustration to me. Now, how old do you think this saying is, pain in the neck, thorn in the flesh, thorn in my side? How old do you think that saying is, potentially? Well, Paul was using it. Well, actually, God was definitely using this phrase at least 1,500 years before Paul used the phrase. Okay? Quickly turn to Numbers. Hold your place in uh, Corinthians and turn to Numbers 33. Was Paul using it as a phrase, thorn in the flesh, pain in the bum, pain in the neck, or was he actually specifically saying, I have a problem with my flesh, or something, an illness now, man? 
I'm suggesting that he was using it as a phrase, just like God uses it as a phrase. In Numbers 35, sorry, 33, verse 55, God is speaking to the Israelites and God says this, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those who you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. Now, does God mean that the Israelites would have literal barbs in their eyes and thorns in their sides? No. He's talking about people being a nuisance to them. Okay. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. And before we read any more, how likely is it, as we've already read, that Paul isn't talking about a specific issue with his flesh, but actually he's using the phrase as a metaphor for all the aggravating circumstances that he's been through. Is it likely that he's using it as a phrase relating to the aggravating circumstances, not a literal ailment or physical sickness in his body? Okay, it's very likely, isn't it? But when we read on, we can actually be more certain that he is actually using it as a phrase rather than a specific thorn illness. So let's start at the beginning of verse 7 again. Or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. So what exactly is the thorn in the flesh? Or pain in the neck? A messenger of Satan. Now the scholars among you can win a bar of chocolate... If you know what the word, or the Greek word, messenger is. Angelos. Mike, you've already had one. He did give it to you. Mike, you can have another one and you can give it away again if you like. Okay. The Greek word used, whenever you see the word messenger in the Bible, or angel, it's the Greek word angelos, which can be translated as messenger or angel. Now, angels are spirits who are messengers. Okay, so it's an angelos from Satan. This thorn in the flesh is a messenger or an angel from Satan. Now we call the, the Satan's angels demons. Okay, they're fallen angels. They're now called demons. So Paul's thorn is a demon from Satan. And what is the mission of this demon from Satan? Was it Satan in verse 7? To torment me. This thorn in the flesh, this pain in the bum, is a demon tormenting me. Now, from your, your knowledge of other translations of the Bible, do you know what other words it uses instead of torment? Persecute and oppression. Persecute and oppression, or buffet, or harass. The King James and NS, NS, NASB uses buffet, and the ESV uses harass. And you've got the amplified of you, Jude. Yes. Okay. So this, this demon of Satan has been tormenting Paul by harassing and buffeting him. This pain in the neck demon has made Paul's life incredibly hard. So when Paul says he's buffeted by a thorn in the flesh, we can be confident in saying that he's referring to the aforementioned list of hardships rather than the unmentioned physical ailment. Can we be sure or fairly certain? Well, I'm, I'm confident we can. So let's read on. Verse 8. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What is it? The demon, the buffeting demon. Take it away from me, Lord. But, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, here's the most important part, I think. What is Jesus' grace? What is Jesus' grace? Oh, what does your note say, Jude? Oh, in the brackets. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Loving kindness and mercy. Well, I would describe grace, God's grace, as unmerited favour or goodness. Unmerited goodness bestowed on someone. If you've done the Freedom in Christ course, it describes mercy as God not giving us what we deserve. God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve. And God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Makes more sense when you see it written up on somewhere. But actually, grace is God giving someone, bestowing on someone something of his goodness that they don't deserve. Okay? So when Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, what goodness of God is Jesus saying he will bestow on Paul? Paul, you've asked me to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. So what of God's goodness is he bestowing on him? Well, it's actually answered in the next part of Jesus' sentence. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what, of, what part of God's goodness is Jesus bestowing on Paul? Power. God's power. Okay? Paul, I'm not going to take the devil away, but I am going to ruin his day. I think, I think that's what Jesus is saying. Paul, I'm not going to take the devil away, but I am going to ruin his day. And by his power through Paul, Jesus did that time and a time and again. Paul, I know you've asked three times that this buffeting demon be banished from you, but watch what my power can do through you when he harasses you. I know all the hardships that this buffeting demon has caused you, but watch what my power can do in response to these things. Oftentimes, when Christians have wrongly quoted this verse to other Christians, usually because the person has been sick for a while, and the well-meaning Christian is kindly suggesting through this verse that in their humble opinion, God is saying, no, I don't want to heal you, so stop asking and trust my grace to help you grin and bear it. But do you think Jesus means that the presence of his power-filled grace to help Paul is for Paul to have a stiff upper lip, or is his grace present to give the devil a fat lip? (laughs) Is God's grace sufficient for you just to have a stiff upper lip, or is it to give the devil a fat lip? This isn't a sorry Christian, but God says no, so grin and bear it verse, I don't think. I think this is a Christian, you don't need to worry about the devil, because watch what God's power is about to do, kind of verse. Watch what my power can do in this apparent weakness. 
through your weakened humanity, I can reveal my perfect divinity. Paul, I'm not going to take the devil away, but through you, I'm going to ruin his day. That's what I think Jesus is saying. Let's quickly finish. Let's carry on reading halfway through verse 19. Paul says, in response to what Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made, is it present for your weakness? Where is Perfect for your weakness. So this is what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I might be shipwrecked, but watch what Jesus' power is going to do when I get off this boat. You may be whipping me with 39 lashes, but what will Jesus going to do when you're done? Watch what he's going to do. You may have pelted me with stones and left me for dead, but look what Jesus did when my fellow believers got round me and I stood up. That's what Jesus' grace does, doesn't it? It doesn't say, Wendy, it doesn't say whether he died or not, but obviously he was stoned enough that they thought, job done. They walked away. But the believers stood around him and he went off and gone preaching again. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone fell off their bike Saturday and got up preaching on Sunday? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've only got a few cuts and things like that, yeah. But I will boast. Oh yeah, no, no, pain in my side, yeah. A true one, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where are we? Okay, verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. He's going back through the list, isn't he? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is he talking about a sickness? No. So just to recap, is Paul's thorn in the flesh a verse, sorry, is Paul's thorn in the flesh a verse incredibly victorious? Is it a victorious verse? Is it highly unlikely that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical sickness or ailment of some kind? Yeah, it's not likely, is it? Should this verse be used to suggest to people that God is saying he doesn't want to heal them? No. Has the Father and the Holy Spirit, through the works and deeds of Jesus, ever left us in any doubt that he wants anyone sick? No. But that's a good Bible story for another time, isn't it? But next time, we shall take a look at Jesus' all-sufficient grace in action so that we can be encouraged that if someone does give us that verse, we think, oh, great. What is God going to do? What is God going to do in this, this difficult situation? Because my power is made perfect in your weakness.